On further reading, we cover the career of actor and notorious Hellraiser Oliver Reed. I'm Leslie Hatton, and these are my co-hosts, Doug Tilly and Liam O'Donnell. Ahoy hoy. Hello. <laughs> so I would like to know, starting off, what kinds of history do the two of you have with the other adaptations of the Three Musketeers films? Well, rather, the adaptations of the Alexandre Dumas novel into film, because there are several others. And I'm actually surprised to see how many others there are. Others there are. International, so too. I'd like, all over the world, there's yes. been different adaptations of it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. I, I, the thing I want, even before we get into that, I'm curious, has, have either of us read the uh, Alexandre Dumas novel before? No. Well, I don't think I've read the whole thing, but parts of it were assigned in an English class. Man, I don't remember what year it was, but it wasn't the. It was like a chapter. It wasn't like sure. we busted open the whole book. I certainly read the the Count of Monte Cristo. That was a a, a book I loved when I was a kid. Uh, but I never felt. Um, I, I guess I never felt an affinity for the material of The Three Musketeers in a way that made me want to go back and read the book, which is odd because I have liked a lot of the adaptations. And I like the idea of these characters, but I cannot speak to the accuracy of the adaptations, even though the one that we're talking about today, even though it's very comical, is said to be pretty accurate to the actual story, which I was a little surprised to read. I was as well. I have seen the... One with Orlando Bloom and Luke Evans. And the late race. And yes. And I feel like I liked it well enough. But I also remember thinking it felt a little trying to be a little too current Mm. and maybe not as um, maybe not as period friendly. In other words, like it just seemed like they were kind of modernizing it maybe a bit too much just now, to appeal to audiences. If, do you that, remember if, if, if you saw it in 3D? Because that was one of the big selling points for that. It was that. No, was, I definitely did version. not. I mean, that is talk about something that it would take away the feeling of its period nature. The fact that it has oh that gosh. gimmick on top of it. I'll tell you who did like Paul W.S. Anderson's 2011 adaptation of The Three Musketeers. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, I believe he put it on his top 10 movies of the year list. Wow. Yeah, I know. I, I couldn't tell when he did that, whether he was joking or not, but he seems really serious. I think he's a big Paul W.S. Anderson fan. And I know that within the community in which we reside, the film online community, there are people who really do like the work of Paul W.S. Anderson. I have to say, Liam and uh, Leslie, I am not one of those people. I think he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yay or nay towards him. I guess I'm kind of neutral. Well, if I just start listing off his movies, uh, including oh, Alien God. vs. Predator. <laughs> oh, I definitely am not a fan of that one. <laughs> and Death I Race, and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he, he, he did a lot of the Resident Evil movies. And again, I know a lot of people like that series of films as well, but just not something I, it, I ever felt a particular uh, enjoyment of. Liam, you've been a little quiet on this discussion so far, sir. Is it because you don't care about Paul W.S. Anderson? Oh, 100%. I, if, if I was going to talk about him at all, I would say the crime he committed against movies, uh, 
at sort of the height of his time was part of the reason I started watching older films because there wasn't as much stuff that I was interested in coming out. So I guess I can say thank you for that. But no, nah, I don't I don't I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure I don't like anything he's done, including I would assume his adaptation of the Three Musketeers, though I wouldn't know I've never seen it. I've never seen well, it. Well the and movie I that never wanted to see it. The movie that people like, even people who don't like Paul W. S. Anderson like tends to be Event Horizon. Uh, from 1997. There you go. Oh, I love that there movie. There you go. That's the one. Then that's the that's the movie that makes me pay attention. But I don't know. I can't think of anything else he's done that I enjoy. Well, first I'm just going to say I don't like Event Horizon, uh, and I well, know that that's an unpopular opinion. Podcast uh, over. Uh, <laughs> just joking. But I do like his 1995 adaptation of Mortal Kombat. Oh, he did the first Mortal Kombat movie. I, uh, okay, but that's. But do you like it, or do you like have affection for it? I have affection for it because of the time that I saw it, while also recognizing that in the glut of video game adaptations that existed in that 1993 to 1996 era, it probably is the only decent one out of all of them. I mean, <clears throat> I have a lot of affection for it, and it is one of my favorite theater memories ever. It's, it's one of my most memorable theater experiences in my life. And yet, that's not a good movie, man. Like, I, I, I mean, whatever you, for some reason, Event Horizon doesn't work for you. I think it's <laughs> because you fear the dark or whatever. But, um, for, you know, I am I am a wilting flower when it comes to horror movies. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, like, you know, Event Horizon isn't a movie where I go, oh, I mean, I get it's not for everyone, but, you know, I like it. I think that's actually good, whereas I don't know anyone who's like, I don't care what anyone says. Mortal Kombat is a masterpiece. Like I just don't think it's that kind of movie. Oh, I it's don't a think movie. it's. A, I, yeah, the thing it, is, it's it's very easy for us to say that the first Mortal Kombat movie is something of, of quality because they made a sequel to it that was so bad, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it made so it's like, well, it could be so much worse. And they had that Street Fighter <laughs> adaptation as well that's so bad, which is another fighting game adaptation. Oh, that yeah. Street Fighter adaptation, right? So it's like it's it in terms of the realm of those kind of movies, it is better. Yeah. I guess that's a better way to. Say it, Liam. And the thing is, I'm not talking. I'm talking about someone who I think is not a great filmmaker. That he made a movie that I enjoy. Literally, I, I'm looking at his entire filmography. I don't know if there's any other movie that I enjoy. Remember Pompeii, the Pompeii movie from 2014? Oh, oh. Yeah. See. All right. Let's move on to another <laughs> Three Musketeers movie. <laughs> How I, much I, better or worse do do you think the Disney one is? Because just looking at the cast, I kind of want to cry. When I was Charlie a, Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell, oof. Well, I have to be honest. A, I sometimes get the 1993 Three Musketeers adaptation confused with the movie The Man in the Iron Mask, the Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. Same. Yeah. So, like, what I enjoy about one or both of those movies, I don't, I can't really, I know that, that the casts aren't completely different, but it just, I sometimes get the details of them separate. I think I like both of those movies. I remember enjoying as a teenager, Maybe maybe it's just because I really did enjoy that cast. I mean Oliver Platt and Tim Curry, and I mean that's those are great supporting performers. But hell, oh the for sure, cast, 
the lead cast of The Man in the Iron Mask, right, with John Malkovich and Gabriel Byrne. I mean, hell, uh, that's one thing about these Three Musketeer adaptations. You can get really good ensemble cast for them, and that, that's almost across the board that tends to be the case, outside of 2001's The Musketeer, which we did mention briefly before we started recording. I only wanted to talk about Musketeer adaptations because of that particular one, which I did see in the cinemas, which is notable as, for As the, did I. As did Liam. Uh, which is notable for two things, I think. One is that Tim Curry plays the villain in it. Not Tim Curry, sorry. Uh, Tim Roth plays the villain in it. And number two is that all of the fight scenes, I think that if they weren't uh, choreographed by Yoon Woo Ping, that at the very least that they were choreographed and performed by Chinese stuntmen. Uh, it's uh, in an attempt to mix kung fu martial arts choreography with a musketeer movie. I'm so glad you brought this up, Doug, because I'm I'm going to hold off on letting you or the audience know what my opinion is of the movie we're going to discuss, just because, for whatever reason, we haven't talked about it before, so you don't know where I'm coming from. I will say, though, there was a moment during the movie, whether I like it or not, where I thought, man, I wish there was actual like choreography in this movie. Like, I wish there was like fight choreography. And uh, you're reminding me that, no, I don't necessarily wish that. Only because uh, 2001's The Musketeer had actually some really impressive choreography, and uh, that movie still blows. That's a terrible movie that I saw in the theater and left being very mad that I had spent <laughs> money to see it. And, and, and I remember thinking, like, it's also not believable that they would fight like that. But then when I was watching this movie, I thought, it might be kind of cool if they had some cool choreography in this thing. I don't think that's true. I don't know if dudes in floofy shirts need to be doing backflips and shit. I don't know if that's What good... if this might change your opinion on it, Liam? What if I was to tell you that it was released days before the September 11th attacks? <laughs> I mean, sure, that's great. I don't that know just why starts you laughing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, well, you know what's funny about that, Doug? Then why did I go see it? I definitely have a memory of seeing it in the theater. It does have a hell of a cast, but here's the other thing about that movie is that it was directed by Peter Hyams, the director of 2010 and Running Scared and Sudden Death and Time Cop and, the, I mean, Capricorn <gasps> One. Time like, Cop. Uh, yeah, I know. But I mean, like, a, a real, you know, it's certainly a journeyman director, but a real mm -hmm. director who knows why the fuck he decided to make this movie? It does have a pretty deep cast, though, including Catherine Deneuve and uh, and others. <laughs> uh, but, I'm looking uh, at the word musketeer so much, it's starting to look like it, it's not a real word. Yeah, it's starting to lose like all I meaning when you see musketeer. <laughs> <laughs> have you any of you seen any other adaptations that you remember of The Three Musketeers? No. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm vaguely, I'm vaguely interested in the one with Gene Kelly, just because Certainly. I like Gene Kelly. Mm -hmm. But I feel and like it might not be as swashbuckly as I would want. You know? Yeah. I feel like right? it might be a little more lighthearted and. Yeah, you'd want an Errol Flynn type character in a in a Three Musketeers adaptation. Yes, I, I'm certainly yes. sure that I've seen an animated Three Musketeers at some point. There's a few of them out there, uh, or maybe <laughs> I'm sorry, maybe I saw one with animals as the Three Musketeers. That seems like the kind <laughs> of thing that probably exists uh, as well. But like just that idea of a group of of uh, highly trained, slightly aristocratic people who come together and kick ass together and have a camaraderie with, with each other. I mean, in some ways, that's the basis for, like, almost every buddy cop movie, right? Like, almost every... Uh, True. 
you know, gang getting together to go on a mission type movie to come afterwards. So it's a, even if I don't feel necessarily an affinity for the, uh, the original book and the subject matter, uh, and, and even some of these movies necessarily, the idea at the core of it is something I really love, which is something we're going to talk about when we get into this movie. Three Musketeers, the most read book in the world after the Bible. Filmed with a cast that dazzles the screen with their brilliant performances. There are six of them and we are only three. No. Four. What is your name, youngster? D'Artagnan. Athos, Porthos, Aramis and D'Artagnan. Sword, one for all, all for one. <laughs> The action. You ought to sleep with me. You need a good cuddle. Chase the fights away. The romance. Oh, Monsieur Dauphin. The excitement. (laughs) The suspense. (laughs) The Three Musketeers. A truly great film adventure. Your Majesty refers to God. I refer to Cardinal Richelieu. So the Three Musketeers is an adaptation of the, as we've said, the classic Alexandre Dumas novel from 1844. And it tells, these, it tells the tale of aspiring swordsman D'Artagnan, played by Michael York, who arrives in Paris with hopes of joining the Royal Guard. After clashing with three musketeers, Athos, played by Oliver Reed, Porthos, Frank Finley, and Aramis, Richard Chamberlain, he joins them in fighting the forces of the corrupt Cardinal Richelieu, played by Charlton Heston, led by Rochefort, Christopher Lee. When Richelieu attempts to undermine the Queen, D'Artagnan and the Musketeers must thwart his plans. The film also stars Raquel Welch, who won a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a Comedy, Faye Dunaway, and Geraldine Chaplin. It's interesting to note that the time period of the novel is the late 1620s, but the book itself was published in 1844. So there's mm. a couple hundred years removed from when Dumas was writing to when the events that he writes about took place, which is kind of interesting. So it's kind of like a, a romanticization of that time period. I think when I think about the work of Alexander Dumas, I think of it more as if he was writing in the 1600s when it's interesting. You know, his work is obviously not contemporary, certainly not now, but the fact that his work was was being published in the mid 1800s. I mean, it, it, it is it's strange that when he, someone is known for making work that takes place in a certain time and it's so far in the past, all those periods kind of fit together, like they kind of smoosh together a little bit. So he might as well have been writing in the 1600s from what I was when that's I was exactly reading. That's exactly how kid. I felt, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I felt, too. I was actually surprised Mm-hmm. at the distance between when it was written and the time period because it's such a specific time period yeah very much so and using actual people right so being able to place it within history in the same way that you know we see a lot of contemporary writers and filmmakers who will go back 200 years and use real life figures to tell a fictional story or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, Liam, I'm dying. You have to tell us what you thought of this movie. <laughs> well, so so here's here's uh, let me actually before I even reveal the big reveal of of what I thought of this movie, let me start with something that no one asked me, which is Liam, what's your history with this movie? And I can reveal now, having rewatched it today, that this is the first Oliver Reed movie I ever saw. Mm, because oh, wow. I I watched this movie and its sequel on a channel we've brought up before, Doug, Bravo, back right? when Bravo showed movies instead of reality TV shit. Uh, wow. they, they, they showed both movies in a row, and I watched them all through, even with, well, back then, Bravo only did commercials like one or two a movie. Like, the breaks right. were, like, very rare, and then mm. they would do an extended commercial break between movies, right? So it wasn't like commercial breaks like when you're watching, you know, regular cable, but uh, but even with the breaks that were there, I just watched both movies all the way through, and my memory of this movie was that I fucking love it. Both movies, the the three and the four Musketeers, they're the best. Uh, I love them. It's, this is so much fun. I love all these weird people I don't know yet because I was in high school at the time, and uh, I didn't recognize any of these actors except for Charlton Heston because I fell in love with Planet of the Apes when I was really young. So I knew he was the Planet of the Apes guy. Oh, and I knew Raquel Welch because, you know. Yeah. I was horny, but ba- basically all the other actors <laughs> I was unfamiliar with in this film, um, and a few things happened today watching it. One, realizing how many people are in this thing that I know from other things now, sure. uh, and I did not realize, I, I didn't even remember that I had seen this movie or that this one was called The Three Musketeers. In my brain, it was the one that's D'Artagnan and The Three Musketeers which is not this movie at all. But there is a movie called D'Artagnan and the Three Musketeers. Uh, But I don't even know if it's in English. I don't know. I just, for some reason, (laughs) I thought that was this movie. And then watching it, I'm like, oh, that's Oliver Reed. Because when I was 15, 16, 17, I don't even know when I was in high school, I didn't know who Oliver Reed was. I I just knew there were British people in this movie and they were funny. Um, So I, when this started, (laughs) I fucking lost my mind, y'all. I was so, I was like, the three musk, oh, I know what this is, oh my God. And I was fucking going crazy. (laughs) I was like, this is going to be the best. I cannot believe it. Well, I did not like it as much as I did when I was 17. (laughs) And I think think part of it is because when I was 17, or it was a very good year. I'm sorry. It was a very good year. And it was a good year for me to be stoked on dumb comedy. Now, I do mm. want to push back a little bit on you, Doug, because there is a lot of goofiness here. This very much feels like every scene, maybe everyone is drunk and kind of bullshitting their way through the scene. And there is <laughs> oh a, my God. And, and there is a, so funny. And there is a charm to that. That's actually, I think, why I liked it so much when I was uh, in high school, because I couldn't believe how ridiculous it was. I will say that, and this is not my usual vibe, but the some of the uh, lines, the 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 quippy lines, are uh-huh. were funnier for me than the physical humor, which all felt kind of half-assed on this watch. Mm, like the slapsticky stuff, all felt kind of like I I don't know. It just didn't feel that impactful for me. I wasn't giggling as much. There were still a couple really fucking good lines that I laughed at but 
the joy that this movie and the sequel, I'm sure, gave me when I was a kid, it wasn't quite as sharp as it once as it was then. That being said, I still had a lot of fun with it. I think, though, for a movie like this, even though I just sort of said, like, I'm wrong about the choreography because of 2001's uh, 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 The Musketeer, the Musketeer yeah. um, I'm not totally wrong because some of these fight scenes drag. And if you're doing uh, an action comedy, you don't want the action to be the boring part, especially in a movie where not all of your slapstick is necessarily working out. Uh, I would have liked some of these uh, sword fights to involve at least a couple days of training or choreography ahead of time. But a couple of these fights just look like two folks who've never held a sword before pretending to get in a fight. And it's it's a bit of a bummer for me. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I am saying that going to the end of making it a martial arts film uh, is also a mistake. So I'm not <laughs> saying we need to go that far. Certainly there's a happy medium that could exist. There has to be a fucking happy medium because, I mean, really, Oliver Reed's character is possibly the most tough character, but it really just looks like every time he seems like an effective fighter, it's just when he punches a guy in the face, not because of any of his fucking sword work. And I just don't think it can be that hard, especially for folks who are in this movie who have stage experience so like have they never done like a stage fight have they ever been in a shakespeare it's so amazing Uh, liam i don't mean to stop you here but i'm sure leslie is thinking the same thing which is that the core like they spent so much time on the choreography in this movie like that it wasn't even choreography because they had a real sword fighter right yes they had a real sword fighter and he wanted it to be what a real sword fight would look like. It all looks so stupid it, it, to me. I hated a, it. I was bored. It's it's messy. It's messy. And, you know, they're throwing things and, and grabbing sticks and hitting each other. I feel like that's probably what a real sword fight looked like. Then give me the fake, because that was boring as shit. I mean, Leo, don't be wrong. Uh, some of the humor is good, but 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 some of some of the fighting, I just thought, like, can we move on? Like, I'd rather have them drinking and quipping at each other than watching this bullshit fight. Doug, do you have any thoughts? Very much so. Uh, I, uh, I I only in- interrupted you, Liam, simply because I, just like Leslie said, I 100% agree. The sloppiness of the fighting in this, yeah, it's more realistic, but it also makes it very frustrating to watch. They're supposed to be mm-hmm. the greatest sword fighters around, and literally they lose their swords, like, what, three times a fight, so they have to pick up whatever's <laughs> nearby to throw it. It's just, it would have been so much, yes, it, it it is cool that they've spent so much time bringing the history to life, because it's a very lush-looking movie that really, you know, it, it, it gets a lot of the period detail very on like like on point but it's also a silly comedy and you kind of want to see these guys kick ass they don't ever really kick ass even like the the one of the fights that i'm guessing you were referring to that go on a little too long is that bathhouse or like the laundrette uh fight yes the thing about that fight is that like there's fighting and then it'll stop for a gag and then there's fighting and it'll stop for a gag and it just keeps going back and forth and that is to me what is kind of the uh, uh epithesis of the entire movie which is that the movie wants to be two things. It wants to be a rousing adventure movie, mm-hmm. but it also wants to be kind of a silly um, uh, goon show type comedy. And, you know, even Spike Milligan's in this movie just to kind of get that across. And the way that they do that is both 
sometimes frustrating, but also really interesting. They do so much ADR in this movie of characters in the background just commenting on things. It's like characters are just constantly, constantly. That part later in the movie where it's the little people and they have the, the food on their heads that the, the yes. people. And it's just they're constantly, it's just them being dubbed over and chatting and making jokes. And it's like the movie doesn't have enough confidence in itself to just let it play out. They just want to have it wall-to-wall jokes. And there's something about that, just like yourself, Liam, as a kid when I saw this, I really appreciated it. But now as an adult, it just makes it all feel a little sloppy. But I have to say, it is very entertaining in its sloppiness. It's just weird that it is so sloppy, considering how many very talented people were on board. You know, they had a script. They weren't making it up as they went along. They had too much of a fucking script. They had so much of a script that they filmed two movies by accident when they were making it. So it's a, it's, it is a movie that sometimes I find frustrating, but there's so much talent on display. It mm-hmm. is so, so uh, fun to watch these actors interact with one another. I do like Michael York a lot. I find him very endearing. I kind of wish his character was played a little more straight. And just to accentuate some of the goofiness of everybody else. But, I mean, it's a, it does, you know, reading behind the scenes, you don't get the sense necessarily that everyone was having a good time all the time. But when you watch it, it feels like a good time. And I think that is something that really does come across. So, I mean, I, I still would highly recommend it. It does feel like kind of the blueprint for the summer movies that were to come over the next decade totally, or 20 years. Totally. But, oh, but, yeah. like, but in a way that they would obviously get a lot more refined. It's kind of amazing <laughs> that it even exists. And, you know, I'm a big Richard Lester fan. I love A Hard Day's Night. I love, uh, like, his Goon Show-ish work that was to come after, even though some of the stuff that's not very popular. And, of course, I love Superman, too. But it's uh, this feels like he's trapped between two worlds a little bit. Um, I think the first time I saw this, I was probably in high school and just wasn't, you know wasn't very interested in it because it was just like, oh, this is just like one of those movies that like, you know, my family likes and oh, this is so boring. I just didn't um, because at the time it wasn't that I didn't like old movies, but I was more into maybe dramatic films and not so much these kind of goofy comedies. And I watched it maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago and I remember liking it. But when I watched it this time, I laughed constantly. (laughs) <laughs> like out loud, cracking up, so many good lines. Michael York is so goofy. He's so ridiculous. And there's just so many subtle things that I, I feel like this movie would play a lot better in the theater because you can see so much of the detail of people's expressions and some mm. of the smaller jokes. I mean, like you said, there is not a, a, a snippet of dialogue that is not used to some end whether it's to make a joke about somebody in, you know, like one of the musketeers or some historical reference to what's going on politically. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so much going on that I feel like on a, on a TV, even a big TV, a lot of that kind of gets missed. So I think that, um, you know, I had started watching it and then um, I was trying to watch it streaming and the stream that I had stopped working. So I had to start it over and I found myself laughing and getting more humor out of it, rewatching it just the next day. So I kind of feel like for me, this is more a movie where the more I watch it, the funnier it is because I can concentrate on some of the those like little details and bits of dialogue that maybe just went over my head the first time or the second time. So I, I feel like I'm having almost the opposite reaction to well, to you. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still think that 
this is a fun movie. It's just when it came on, my memory of it when I was right. a kid was that this is the one of the best movies ever. Like I just was so goddamn excited to watch it. So it might have just been nostalgia set the yeah. bar a little too high. I also want to point out that um, the copy I was watching, I turned on the subtitles and the subtitles that came on, I found out later when I started watching the next one just for funsies, were the subtitles for the Four Musketeers. So, so, oh my god! So, I, so because, how confused you must have been. Yeah, no kidding. What I the just, hell, insane. I, I just thought it was off. Like, like I was like, oh, they're off because I didn't turn them on till I was like a good like 20, 30 minutes into the movie because I realized, hey. I'm missing little bits and pieces here and there. Let me turn on the subtitles so that if I don't hear someone as well, I can at least read it and I can catch if there's a funny line or something like that. I turned it on. I'm like, oh, it's off a little bit. And then I'm like, oh, no, it's off a lot. Oh, this is like really wrong. So then I turned it off. (laughs) Then I'm watching the movie. Uh, the the second movie and I look at the I'm looking at it while I'm doing something else and kind of half paying attention and then I really am paying attention and realize oh he's saying the lines that were on the screen when I was watching the other <laughs> one. so like not only was it the wrong movie when I turned it on it started at the beginning of the second movie so like the whole intro to the second movie was playing half an hour into the first movie and so. Yeah, that that was a bit of a bummer for me that like I really was like, well, I'm just gonna have to turn the sound up really loud because for whatever reason there were parts that I was missing. That being said, by the end of the movie, you know some of the some of the stuff just isn't working as well as I wish it was. I think that the the big sort of uh, getting getting the jewels up during the fireworks thing, all of that is very fun for me, even if the fighting is not that great. I thought all the quips from the little people were just excessive. Like, yeah, I I, I don't care about anything they're saying. Nothing they're saying is funny enough to justify that part of it. And there's so much other stuff going on that I'm having fun with. What do I need it for? You know, like, I don't know why it's there, you know. But, again, all all this negative stuff is just me realizing this isn't the greatest movie of all time. I still had a lot of fun watching it, and I still think it's really fun. I think I just – my – enjoyment of like you know oliver reed falls in a well and then they're trying to get him out of the well <laughs> and like i i think i think oh my you know, god that think, scene's amazing yeah i think it's supposed to be very funny i just was kind of like yeah okay whatever like it just it, <laughs> it, it didn't like hit the way it hit when i was a teenager but some of the like silly lines and stuff were a little bit more effective maybe even than when I was a kid mm-hmm. because I'm older and I'm paying more attention. I'm realizing this dialogue's actually pretty funny most of the time. It's funny, Liam. I did the same thing. I put on subtitles when I was watching it, and unlike yours, they were for the correct movie. However, I still couldn't uh, focus on them properly because they were so simplified because this is just getting to what you were you were just saying. There's a real denseness to the dialogue in this. Yeah, yeah. And these mm-hmm. subtitles were so simplified that they were losing all the jokes in it. It was actually very frustrating to watch with those. I watch a lot of movies with subtitles simply because, well, I like to catch everything and my ears aren't what they used to be. Uh, we both touched on uh, in your d- discussion of it, Liam, and when I was saying it earlier, my thoughts on it, something that we haven't really kind of said explicitly yet, which is that this is a movie with a sequel, The Four, the Four Musketeers. And the films were made at the same time. They were made back to back, or I guess not even back to back. They were being made at the same time. And this became very, very controversial at the time. 
because mm-hmm. the actors didn't know that they were making two movies. This was something that was decided, I guess, while production was ongoing. And, you know, some of them were surprised <laughs> to discover that a sequel to the movie that they made was coming out the year after. Uh, this movie even ends with scenes of the four uh, Musketeers just to kind of nail it home. And uh, that even led to, I guess, a uh, you know potential lawsuits that eventually led to the cast getting apart, like pieces of the, the yes. movie. So they were able to financially benefit from its success. And also now, I guess that's something that's now built into contracts to make sure that doesn't happen, which is good because there's been a lot of movies over the last few years where it's kind of been two movies made back to back. I can beat you both. My subtitles were in Dutch. <laughs> Very good. Very so good. I was, I was real confused. Um, yeah, and I tried to find a shooting script too, and I, I couldn't find one that was, you know, accurate. But because there were some really funny lines in there about uh, something with the Huguenots, which I'm not really sure I understood, but I wanted to understand it. But it was during the tennis scene, right? When. Um, Oliver Reed is insulting the other two musketeers because they're terrible players and he's betting on them. So, uh, yeah, I, I really need to look, look up, oh, look up right. that line. It, it, it was something, it was something like, I don't remember it now. It was something conflating a Catholic thing with the Huguenots or something. Like, yeah. Something yeah. I was, he'd sooner bet on, uh, somebody taking the throne than them winning the game or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I is will say so it's, nerdy, it, such a nerdy thing for me to be like, what is that? I want to know this joke about history that no one cares about. It does sometimes feel like some of the dialogue is like disconnected from the scenes in which it appears. You know, it just feels like people are saying things sometimes, but that's probably one of the things that you were saying, Leslie, it makes it even more beneficial to return to it. Maybe yeah. not after 20 years or however many years it's been since right. Liam and I have seen it. But like, this is a movie that I could see myself returning to in a couple of years and enjoying it more because now that I have a grasp of exactly where everything is going in terms of the plot, that you can focus a little more on the dialogue and some of the background aspects. And I mean, there's, again, whatever our mixed feelings, if you could even call it that about this movie, there are aspects of it that I absolutely love. The period detail and, of course, Mr. Oliver Reed. Oh, Yes. I would like to say that I'm pretty impressed with his uh, dedication to the role. Uh, According to what I read in the um, Hellraiser's book and in the um, biography, um, his biography, not Evil Spirits, but um, what's the other one called? Um, What Fresh Lunacy Is This? Yeah. Right, right, right. He was so into the sword fighting that the stuntmen were actually afraid of him because they thought like he was going to kill them. And it's really funny because when you watch the fights, the other two and well, you know, Michael York is like super enthusiastic. I mean, like he he basically is just enthusiastic about everything in the movie. <laughs> Whether or not it's to his benefit because there's a lot of like knocking stuff down and falling and jumping out of windows and falling and you know trying to fight somebody and falling i I mean to his Uh, to his credit it's not hard to be enthusiastic (laughs) about the idea of fucking raquel welch (laughs) (laughs) it's just such a goofball it's it's really funny but um so i what i really like is when whenever there's a sword fight scene with oliver reed he takes his hat off and like throws it to the side and then he's just like 
going completely insane and then tries to involve like a, an article of clothing somehow <laughs> like like he's like a like he's um like a bullfighter it's insane like yeah. he just he he grabs like a shirt or his cape and he's just like taunting the other guy with it and like trying to swat at him and just like the look on his face I, I mean, I think he really thinks he's actually sword fighting for real. Like it, it, it's it's crazy. Like the other two guys are sort of like goofy and not very skilled. Not to say that he's more skilled, but he's just really aggressive. Like he's he's literally like fighting for his life. It looks like on the screen, and yeah. I just think that's hysterical. Like it, it's so funny how into it he he gets, and he you can see that he envelops the character so totally. Right. And you, you read in that book as well about how the filmmakers, when they were casting this, now we know initially like the original version of this was supposed to star the Beatles, but when they were like making the Hollywood version, you know, they, they described who this person was this Hellraiser, this, you know, this guy who likes to drink guy who likes to get in fights. Well, who else could it be? But Oliver Reed, I mean, he's, he was perfectly cast because basically the character is him. Everyone recognized it right from the beginning. And he seemed to recognize it because Everything like he is so believable in this character. He fits so well into this era of history that it's kind of like, in some ways, the ideal Oliver Reed role uh, in that he commands your attention every time that you see him on screen. There's something about his facial structure or something like that that just makes him so good for period pieces while still able to exist in modern day. Uh, he's really a, 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 the, a, an idealized version of that kind of actor. I think he also has a way of being that suggests he is both relaxed, but also ready to kick ass at any yeah. moment. Oh, yeah, like, totally. Every scene, he's like, I don't really care about what's happening. Oh, now I'm going to murder this man. And you just believe <laughs> that he's like capable of that sort of thing, the whole movie. Yeah. I also think it's funny, the running thing, at least in this one, I don't know if it continues into the sequel, of him just always getting hurt, you know? And I think there's just something about that. You know, you have the older guy, you've got the the uh the more like fancy guy who gets with the ladies and you know uh Oliver Reed's character is he's the ruffian you know he's the tough mm -hmm. one yeah. but of course that means he's always getting hurt he gets hurt so many times in this movie and oh, to the point where i started to think like is this just going to be like every fight he walks away with another stab wound or something like i don't <laughs> know what's going to happen um but yeah i i got to say like his he seems to have the actual chemistry with D'Artagnan, right? Like mm -hmm. yes. the other two musketeers, I they're characters. They exist. I'm not saying that they're they're not fully fleshed characters, but they it doesn't seem like we get a lot of scenes in this movie of them really interacting with D'Artagnan. And it's kind of weird because the whole yeah. point is that they're a unit who then envelops him in. He becomes almost like an inspiration to them because they're uh, they're very sort of, you know, uh, uh, cynical. cynical, right? And and maybe he gives them a little bit of hope, right? But mm -hmm. that only makes sense with his character because the other two characters don't really seem to interact with anyone but each other in like a personal way. You know, it's very strange. It was it's a strange decision to not see more like chemistry there. But on, in the positive sense, I really believe that like uh, you know uh, Athos and D'Artagnan like. I believe that they are friends on screen, like that they kind oh, of yeah. care about each other. And, you know, that I, I don't know that that's just a testament to Oliver Reed, but it is a part of his performance, which I think is like really strong in this movie. How oh, great I agree. Is it, 
as well that the way I mean, this is probably straight from the book, and I'm not 100% sure if it is or not, that the way that D'Artagnan makes that relationship with the three of them is to be fighting duels one after the other. Oh, my God. I mean, just a beautiful, like such a cinematic setup for that. But you're exactly right, Liam. They don't spend a lot of time. You know, the idea is at first is that um, D'Artagnan is very talented but he's very naive that he needs to earn their respect and you kind of don't get the sense that he has slowly kind of like built up that respect with them it's just suddenly they're a team uh and i would have liked to have seen and this is something that i understand is in the fourth uh i was gonna say the fourth movie the sequel to this movie the four musketeers that there's a little bit of a fleshing out of some of those characters um like porthos that you get a little bit more of their background and I wish I'd seen a little of that in this movie. But then again, mm-hmm. you know, they really are a pair and not just a pair. There's actually a third movie from 1989 as well, which I think none of us have seen. Uh, but it is, is, that, uh, is that the return of the Musketeers? The return of the yes. Musketeers. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, I mean, it did bring back almost all the cast from this. Actually, a surprising number. But uh, as uh, I mean, as we at, at we and uh, and Leslie were talking earlier about why we hadn't seen it, knowing that Roy Kinnear died on the set of it because of an accident. It just it puts a whole yeah, kind of it's really sad. The whole thing. In terms of Oliver Reed, kind of uh, encapsulating that character, um, it wasn't just the producers and the director who felt that. He himself said that Athos was probably the nearest to himself that he's ever played, and specifically, mm-hmm. he said. I identify with his drinking habits, his playing habits, and his suspicion of women. (laughs) And uh, I just thought that was pretty funny. I mean, there's even that line in the beginning when he says to D'Artagnan, he says, oh, uh, you know, you will find, young man, that the future looks rosier at the bottom of a glass. I mean, mean, just he feels so real in this movie. Um, And I found that in a lot of his movies... I kind of forget that it's Oliver Reed and I feel like he is that actual character or that mm. character is him. I'm not I'm not really sure which direction it goes, but you, you kind of forget like, oh, he's portraying this guy. You, you you just see him as that character, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I feel like sometimes you know, we have to be careful a little bit not to romanticize the fact that he was such a heavy drinker. And such oh, a I know. generally, but it's hard not to simply because some of the a lot of the, the kind of reputation that he had was as this, oh, my God, he could be out all night drinking. And then he'd drink to a point. Then he'd start fighting. Then he'd get into a bunch of fights and get in trouble. And then he'd be on set the next morning and he'd seem fine. And it's like, well, you know, that's there's obviously a lot of, of issues at the core of that. I don't want to pretend that we are ignoring those issues, but I have yeah. to say reading those stories in those books about all of it, he just seems remarkable, but also like impossible. People, you could tell when they're talking about him, they were like, oh yeah, a great actor. I'm scared of him a little bit. <laughs> yes, oh yes. Like like Michael York said, you know, what, what you were saying about the sort of taking D'Artagnan under his wing and having this like bonding with him. He actually said, York actually said that, yeah, that was how it was. Like, that's how those characters were, but not offset. Not yeah. that not that Reed was awful to him, but, you know, there was all of the carousing and the drinking, and it, it was just kind of frightening, like a, I, a l- I, little scary and intimidating. Totally. I think in, in regards to this character, though, it I think one of the things that is worth mentioning, it, just in case anyone's listening who hasn't seen the movie, is that um, 
I think a different actor would turn this character into a shitty caricature, right? Mm. Like because he's both, uh, he's he's witty, he's mm-hmm. very wordy and eloquent, and he is literally the brawler of the group, right? Yeah. And um, you know, it's one thing to say, well, that was easier for Alvarez because that's him, right? He's a wordy dude who might beat you up. Okay, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but I think that that's a little too easy to say because it's also worth saying that he didn't have to put on a mask because I think this kind of character is seen so much as um, silly or comic relief in a way that is not helpful to the story. And Oliver Reed instead makes the character kind of a little more real, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. not to disrespect uh, the other performances of the movie. I like a lot of people in this movie, but there's something about the way that he, you know, makes the character a real thing that I think would be very difficult for a lot of other performers. I also think that like, I don't think anybody even in 1973 was fooled by the idea that the three musketeers get killed in this and they're supposed to be dead, especially with the oh, yeah, yeah. A sequel is coming. <laughs> but I will say when he gets his like throat nicked in that fight mm-hmm. scene where he's supposed to be killed, that's a very affecting scene, right? Especially yeah. because of everything. It's funny. Cause it's like, there is a, much of a comical note to the choreography there where he kind of gets trapped accidentally and that's what leads to his downfall. But it, it he brings out a real uh, humanity to it that in the other, in the fates of the other two musketeers in those scenes, you don't, it doesn't have that weight to it that his particular yeah. fate does. Mostly I think it's because he's such a great character that you want to see more of him and the mm-hmm. threat of not seeing more of him is deflating. It's interesting you say that because I was also reading that they were all wounded. Yeah. Uh, he was, <laughs> I think he was actually stabbed in the shoulder or the arm. Um, Michael York at one point, they were they were also beaten up by all the sword fighting that Michael York had to fill in for his own stunt double because the stunt <laughs> double was so wounded. I mean, that's, that's bananas. I can't imagine something like that happening now. That would just... It's- Okay, you know why it's I love this? It's so un- unbelievable. <laughs> you know why I love this, though? Because one of the problems you get sometimes, right, is that people say, this movie would be better if it was more realistic. You know what would be better? If it was more realistic. <laughs> if someone almost died. <laughs> and this movie is very realistic, actually. And yeah. most of the, now, I don't want to say all. But most of the fighting is fucking boring. It just is boring because <laughs> what makes a sword fight fun is the fake shit. And I agreed. And I, agreed. And, and I just gotta say, like, for those of you out there who think movies would always be better if they were more realistic and whatever it is, that's not real. You, you're not actually there to watch a real thing. You know, you're there mm-hmm. for something entertaining. Now the trick is to fool you into thinking it is kind of realistic when we all right. kind of know it's not. That's the real magic trick of it all. Like but, sword um, fighting in Rob Roy or something like that. Exactly, right? which like, yeah. exactly. Which which William Hobbs actually choreographed. Yeah, he see, he so, was a choreographer on Rob so, Roy. So, so maybe what we're really saying is the way that Richard Lester shoots the sword fighting might be the problem. Yes. And I was about to say, I think that might be it. I think... Yes, it, I agree it, with you. It's funny to bring up that I we brought up in relation to that other Musketeer movie, Martial Arts. I, I did find myself thinking, Doug, that parts of this were filmed 
like I would like to see a martial arts movie. Only <laughs> these people are not doing enough to justify this wide shot. Like we're getting a really good shot of what's happening, but like the most exciting thing is when York spins around on the clothesline and kicks yeah. out. Like that, yeah, when, that's that, true. when that happened, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like that was so cool. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute, that was nothing. Why am I so stoked on that? But it's like because it's one of the few things that felt kind of fun. And, and and inventive, you know, and you know, there's a couple things here and there, like when bro hits a guy with a rock. I actually thought that was kind of fun. Like, the, it's oh, yeah, not like it's not like all the fights are bad. I don't want to totally shit on it, but it's just instead of those being the exciting bits in between talky parts, right? Which is how a lot of action movies kind of feel. Mm-hmm. I actually found a lot of the like fun. Them just sort of hanging out, or or even getting moments with the the Charlton Heston as the evil cardinal, or uh, Christopher Lee as uh, the the one eyed uh, spy guy. Those parts were actually more interesting to me than mm-hmm. some of the fight scenes. Not all of them, but a, a lot of the fight scenes. How about what did you think of that scene where they're in the diner and they're trying to steal the food while? Oh fighting my god, at the same time? so good, so so. Funny. I think that one works, right? Because that that has. The I kind love of that. One. It's literally it's so one of the, hammy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hammy, but it has because that, that's what you're really saying, Liam. Is like, shouldn't these guys be showing off, right? Shouldn't they be doing a right. little showmanship with their fighting? So to play it like real kind of works against the whole idea of what you know the blustery nature of these kind of you know comic characters. Yeah, I think that's I think that is it. And and especially in a movie like we already said, but just to be clear, the amount of attention to the set design, the yeah. costuming, like every part of this movie is masterful. And that part is masterful too if you want to masterfully show the most sort of boring realistic fights. <laughs> you know what it's I mean? It's like um it's like um um the um the Dogma 95 Yes. Sword fighting scenes versus the rest of the movie, which is completely over the top. I think people I think people, you know, they they see they see a video on Instagram of like soccer hooligans throwing tables. They think like, oh, fights are crazy. But like the you guys saying like this is realistic, actually, that that probably does mean it's more boring because most fights are just a couple of guys grunting and 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 and. (laughs) You know, and it's it's not it's not that exciting unless you're actually in danger. Then it's you know, then it's a different kind of exciting, the one you wish you weren't a part of. Uh, but to watch a video, oftentimes it's real boring. It's just not that. Yeah. It's not whatever. So, uh, anyways, we're harping too much I on agree. that. But when when the performances are just so good that I don't want to take away from the fact that I think I really love this cast. I really love the performances. It's it's just that one thing kind of bothers me. You know? It's funny because it's just it's just not what they would do now in a movie. No, and that's also true. No. Yeah. Right, so it's so funny because when they have the big first fight with all the with the four fighting together, right, where they were about to do the duels and then they were interrupted, they have this big fight and you're like, oh, this is where the musketeers are going to kick ass, and it's like they don't really kick ass. They they <laughs> they, they win, but they kind of just barely win. You think that they <laughs> this would have been a real good opportunity? Like if it was a movie now, they would just make fools out of these people. Oh right? yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's an odd uh, approach. In some ways, it's refreshing because it feels of a different era as well, while also being simultaneously frustrating. But you're right, Liam. We shouldn't focus too much on the uh, choreography simply because it's not like it takes you out of the movie necessarily. Right, yes. It just it does go on for a bit. I, I wanted to go. Uh, I wanted to bring up something that we've already talked about a little bit off, uh, which is, you know, 
I got to be honest, y'all, and 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 you know we have a, a, a an article related to this question, but until the very end of the movie, when they handed <laughs> our man bring this up. the fucking musket, the <laughs> the term musketeer had lost all meaning for me, and not just in the sense that you were saying like, oh, I've said it too many times in a row, right, right. I just mean for years, like for years, y'all, like for years and years and years, it's never occurred to me that the term musketeer has anything to do with a fucking musket. Now, part of that is uh, I realize how often when I say musketeer out loud, <laughs> in my brain I'm thinking mouseketeer. Mouseketeer? <laughs> I really am. I'm not lying about that. I really am so thinking am mouseketeer. But, oh, my God. <laughs> but but it's just until they actually hand him the fucking musket. And then I ask the question that we all kind of like had it, I guess, kind of <laughs> answered here, which is, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If they're musketeers, how come they never use muskets? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> I honestly thought that musketeer was just like some some weird translation from French of You're like, right. mm-hmm. you know, adventurer or like, you know, swashbuckler. I don't what what does swashbuckler mean? I don't even know. But I mean, that is truly what I thought. And then as soon as I saw that musket, I was like Oh, okay. And especially maybe it's it, more clear in the novel. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that would make than sense. it is in the movie. You know, that you get more of that historical background or something. Well, I mean, in that article, it suggests that maybe it isn't <laughs> as much in the novel. Like, like that he really does stay away from the use of those muskets. I, that's I think it's true. Just that that's true. May, that in the reality of it, that they probably did use those muskets a lot, but it's a lot cooler to describe sword fighting in your novel. And it's yeah. and like the and like the article points out, nobody's going to carry muskets around because yeah. they're heavy, right? Yeah. So they don't they'd only really use them in in a in a war skirmish, not it, sort of their like everyday violence with the swords. There's very like, little gunplay in this movie anyway, and the one kind of notable one is when Spike Milligan is trying to, to oh load my his God. gun. When, when the guards come and so he's trying good. to load it and he dumps it. <laughs> he loses the thing that he's plunging into it and then he, I mean, it, it is very, very he, good. He that is guy a gets treasure in big that time, movie. By the way. Oh yeah, he is so funny in the movie. Like, his whole his whole thing of he took my hand and called me friend. It was like, it was like, it was like he was Gollum or something. Must is my friend. It was amazing. I guess, so good. I guess the thing is, and this, we don't have to solve this now, but I just want to say it, which is, why would you, uh, now that I know what the term means, right? The term musketeer doesn't say to me, high-level adventurers that you would try to be a part of. <laughs> like, in fact, if you were like, it, I really feel like you'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I you know, I wanted to join the military. I'm part of the musketeers. People be like, oh, that's a shame, man. That's a bummer. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, get, couldn't get the cavalry or something. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like the musketeers would be like, yeah, I don't know. I, I carry a heavy gun and then I get one I shot. Yes, I don't actually agree. If I was a part of like a, a an elite unit called like the shotgun brigade, I'd be like, hey, that's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, but that's because yeah. a shotgun is cool. Doug, that's not the only scene with a gun. Let's talk about this. Guns at the time were so useless that when they are confronted by like eight dudes with guns, oh rather than rather than hide, they're like, just just ride the horse faster because they I probably know, won't it's hit so us. so funny. Because muskets really were like, 
if someone's coming at you and they're not that far away, having a line of people with muskets is cool. But then you've only got that one volley. And then chances are, by the time they reload, they've already been overwhelmed if there's enough people. You know what I mean? Like, the the idea that, like, the musketeers are actually the fucking SEAL Team 6 of the French yeah, yeah. army is, like... Oh wait, no, that's not a thing. Actually, why yeah. did he choose musketeers for the novel? Like of all the people, I guess it's just all those... I'm going to say, Liam, is that better musketeers than blunderbusses. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What's a blunderbuss? Now a blunderbuss I feel is, like I. It's a gun. Yeah, it's a, it's like a, a big oh, rifle. Oh, you know oh in cartoons when they'd have the, the gun, three blunderbusses. <laughs> you know in cartoons when they would have the gun with the big opening, like it was a phonograph. Yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. That's a blunderbuss. Oh, and they wow. Would, it would just shoot a lot of pellets so indiscriminately that hopefully no one you knew was within like a 50-foot wide radius oh, of the front of the gun. You know, it, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, that's but hilarious. I'm reading about blunderbusses right now. And apparently blunderbuss, the name, comes from Dutch, which is kind of ironic with your subtitle issue earlier. But uh, mm. it's it's name me is, uh, is a, a combination of two words, donder and buis, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. It means thunderpipe, which is that's a way better name. Yes. Thunderpipe. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the three thunderpipes? I'm yeah. totally into that. This. Right? I'm totally into that. That's funny that you went there. I immediately went to Ash declaring, this is my thunderpipe. <laughs> oh, yes, totally. <laughs> okay, Amazing. Okay. I wanted to say, when you were talking about the kind of like the seal team six or whatever and how cool it how cool, much cooler it would have been if they did have guns or whatever i'm wondering do you think okay so you know the scene where they're throwing the the pigeons at the hawks or the falcon yeah. and then the falcon's just like killing the pigeon and then it's so it's so creepy the way that um the uh, geraldine chaplin queen character is like oh did you hear him cry? Ha, 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 ha. It's so like, uh, yeah, that's really kind of sick that you're getting your jollies from this. We're supposed to, we're supposed to like her, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I found like that there was a lot of sort of negative portrayals of the of the royals and the aristocracy, like that they were just so useless and they, they oh, didn't absolutely. understand things. And that scene... I'm wondering now if that's almost like um supposed to be an analogy to how they feel about the musketeers that they're just like cannon fodder. Sure. I mean that's that, not, yeah, to, yeah, not yeah, to throw yeah. another pun in no, there. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what the Simon Ward character is all about, right? The Duke oh, of Buckingham, God. right? Where he's like he is a good guy in the scope of the movie. But he's this prissy, you know, completely, oh, yeah. you know, he gets everything he wants, has no real stress in anything except for that one moment where he almost gets caught in the bathhouse. But I mean, it's just like generally, you know, he's he is certainly seen as above everything. Now, there is that moment with him and D'Artagnan near the end where he shakes his hand and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And but yeah. I think that says more about D'Artagnan as a character than it does. the Yeah. Duke. Right. Just about about how his riches don't really impress him. But I mean, he even D'Artagnan in that scene outright states, you know, about his loyalties and yeah. how his loyalties lay. So, I mean, it's I do think that this is a movie that does. It presents the Musketeers as being of a higher level than a working man. Right. Mm -hmm. And less than an aristocracy, but really kind of mocking the aristocracy at the same time and saying like they're close enough to the working people that you can still kind of like and respect them which i think probably comes from 
I don't know if that's in the book necessarily, but it certainly comes from maybe the approach of someone like Richard Lester, who I think he, he has more of a working class or, or mm -hmm. uh, lower class uh, sympathies. Some of those scenes like and, you know, well, there's a there's a lot of really ridiculous things like all the, the beggars like money, money for an orphan. <laughs> And it's like money for a cripple. Uh, he's like, I, whatever works, just give me money. But, um, you know, the guy who gets the chamber pot thrown on his head, like just those little throwaway scenes mm -hmm. and, and the guy giving money to the people of the parade and then like, like, like shoving them like, hey, you better clap. You better wave your flags. <laughs> like they don't they don't give a shit about Cardinal Richelieu. You know, they're just like they're just they just want money to, to wave a flag. They, they, they're not. They're not invested in, in any of that. It's just, it is literally like the chess game where not only do they have a chess game, you know, for people who haven't seen it, not only do they have a chess game with like dogs, monkeys, and there might be like a pig in there. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Lots with of wild animals. Animals, with, animals don't do well in this movie generally. With cost, yeah, with costumes. But there, the, the, the king tells somebody where he wants the the piece to move and then that guy tells somebody and then that guy tells somebody and then that guy tells another person who then tells the dog where to go i mean it's like if there could be a, a better description visual description of the distance between you know the guy with the chamber pot on his head and the king like i don't i don't know how else you could it it, it really reminded me of the devils which we haven't mm -hmm. talked about that movie yet but um but in The Devils, the, the, the Oliver Reed film, there's a really insane, well, there's more than one, but there's a really <laughs> insane scene with Louis XIV, like shooting people dressed as birds. Like it's crazy. This is not quite that extreme, but it's coming from that same mindset that, you know, the, the, and, and not, only are the, not only is the aristocracy sort of ludicrous in their distance from the common folk they're not even really in control of anything because all the all their strings are being pulled by Richelieu and the other higher clergymen like he's the one who does all the machinations you know like the the duke the duke says to uh the queen i would go to war for you it's like no that that's not that's not gonna happen <laughs> people it are also, gonna go I mean, to war to, to get money to get power not because you want to have sex with this woman like that's just ludicrous like how you're really getting you? at, at, at kind of the, the, the funniest kind of satirical element of it which is like your average person on the street in the context of this movie the whole plot it doesn't involve them whatsoever oh, the only no, thing that no. could affect them is these you know the the dalliances of these aristocracy uh you know the 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 kings and queens fighting with each other might get them in a war that might get them killed but that's exactly. all right they're so separated from it that it's it's kind of funny that it's like you see them in the background there's people everywhere in all the scenes but they're like totally separate from the plot yeah yeah leslie i have a question there... for you it's a very mm -hmm. very serious question which is okay. that this movie, in its original concept, was meant to star the Beatles. I can't even be believe that that's real. I, I thought mean, that was just a joke, and then I read I, it that it was it was confirmed. I mean, a Clockwork Orange is supposed to star the Rolling Stones, right? I mean, there's it, it probably oh, was a I very different. Oh, I never knew that. Oh yeah, very much so. Oh um, wow. And so, but if you had to conceptualize a similar type of movie, more oh my maybe God. more laid back. Which Beatle? I know Liam doesn't give a shit about the Beatles, so I'm asking you. Which Beatle would play which character? 
Well, geez. I mean, they have to play the four musketeers, obviously. But which I would, one would think D'Artagnan would probably be Paul. Um, Athos would be John. Gotta be John, right? Has to be John. Ringo would be Porthos, and George would be Aramis. As as weird as that is, but none of the Beatles are like really kind of prissy yeah it's it's a hard one though i have to say that's, that's I, tough it's hard for me not to think maybe it's just because of michael york in this movie that ringo would play d'artagnan though i also don't yeah want to see that. <laughs> oh my god oh my god they're also uh, they're they're also like sarcastic and yeah. and and dry like in their film personalities and, you know, I guess sort of their real life personalities too. But Paul, I guess Paul McCartney's face was just so like sweet. Like that's why I'm thinking D'Artagnan. Cause it's, you know, he's got the big eyes and like, that's kind of how Michael York is in this. He just looks yeah. like a, like a, a naive <laughs> kind of, there's, there's an innocence to him. That's very, yes, that it, it plays. Yes. Yeah, it definitely plays with that character. Absolutely. Oh my God. I can't believe that. I, I, I don't, I've just, oh, it would have been, and then what would they, it wouldn't have been sword fighting. They would have just like stopped and played a song. Like, how was that going to work exactly? I don't, I don't understand. It would be a I'm very so different glad movie. That didn't happen. I'm so glad that didn't happen. Oh, Can we I, talk about the goldfish prank, though? Yes. That, this is a very famous <laughs> prank that Oliver Reed was involved in. And kind of shows, you know, we've talked a lot about his fighting on our two episodes now. But he also was like a clever guy who just liked to get a rise yeah. out of people. So why don't you tell us about the goldfish prank? So I knew about the goldfish prank before um, I knew what movie it was from. I couldn't remember. You know, I, I heard he did it. And for some reason, I was thinking it was Tommy. But... Um, Although why I thought that I, I don't know, but so there was a pond outside of, I guess the hotel that they were staying in Spain and you know, it had goldfish in it. So what Reed did was he, he went in one night, took all the goldfish out, replaced them with little baby carrots or like little, little carrots that were like carved in the shape of fish, put the goldfish in his bathtub and then the next day went down and just started eating what everybody <laughs> thought were goldfish out of this pond, but it was really carrots. And like, he did all of that just for like a two minute joke. It, it's just incredible to me. And the prank was actually confirmed. Like it wasn't just one person. Michael York said he saw it happen himself. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just amazing. Just I my favorite part of the prank is that he apparently was being pulled away afterwards and he was shouting, I'm a musketeer. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. That's even better. Yes. I forgot about that part. So good. Oh, oh I wow. Mean, he, this is why we're here, right? He was a character. Yeah. He was a great so actor. Funny. And also, you know, a, a uh, one of the things in that book as well is that Tarantino was a big fan of his performance in this. And I, you, oh, can yeah. s you know, he really... It's rare that a character that works, I should say, it's rare that an actor's off-screen persona 
is able to bleed into his on-screen persona in such a way that it actually improves the character as opposed mm-hmm. to, in some ways, you know, it, it makes it a little messy. It, you know, it, it's why, even though I think Oliver Reed is great in so many movies, he's miscast in a few movies. I watched one recently for a different podcast where mm-hmm. he's, you know, doing an American accent, which he can do all right. But it's like, why? Why? With a guy yeah. with that voice, why would you do I know. anything? to deplete it but uh but he's you know and you even can't even say oh he's always given his all it's not even necessarily the case but he brings something so unique because of who he is and the things he can do you know they kind of get out of it get at it in that book right that idea that there's something about him where he's a thug but he's also kind of an aristocrat at the same time like it feels like he's part of an upper class person who also happens to be a, a, mm-hmm. a, the kind of person who would get in bar fights because that's kind yeah. of exactly who he was. And when you see him on those talk show appearances where he's like this erudite speaker yeah. talking about his uh, getting a tattoo on his penis, I mean, it's just he really is a man of contradictions. You do have. A... Am I helping you? No, no, but it doesn't matter. I'm here to find out little things about you that we do not know. And there's one thing that I was told I can't believe you have a tattoo in a very unusual place. Yes, on my cock. <gasps> told that you might answer in a different way it's so sad like you know again and I, I i could probably say this on every episode that we do but it when you see him in a film or you see him in an interview or you read about these things that he did that were really pretty horrible you know mm-hmm. especially the way he treated his his wives and his girlfriends yeah. and stuff it just feels like such a waste you know it feels like what could have been you know there could have been he could have been happier because I think at at his heart, he was just not happy. You know, I think there was like a real darkness in him that he tried to drown out with alcohol. And that's it's really unfortunate that he was such a kind of a macho hellraiser that he he didn't he didn't ever do that sort of very anti macho thing of saying, you know what, I'm a fucked up person and I need help. That's, you know, that just was not a thing that was done then. It's it's so odd that unlike a lot of his contemporaries that were also considered Hellraisers, that he never had that moment, you know, where it's no. like he hits 50 or 55 or even 60, which, of course, he didn't really get past that, where it's just yeah. like, OK, I need to clean up my act and maybe I'll have a little bit of regret where you can kind of then look back and be like, look, I was a piece of shit or I had bad opinions about women or I acted like a thug for a long time. But like I, I managed to con- there's both something endearing and horrifying about the idea that he was like this right till his dying days. Absolutely true. His dying day. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you would like, I don't know where, who said it, but in one of the, either it was in Hellraisers or the wet fresh lunacy book when they were talking about this film that, you know, he was so amazing and so much fun to be around until he wasn't. And then he was absolutely terrifying. And that Which, that's just so scary to I think, think that's about. the story that you hear about a lot of alcoholics, too. Right. Where it's. Just yeah, like, that's, oh, you know, he's, that's he's very great true. Right up until that one drink too many. And then suddenly he's yeah. impossible. Yeah. What do you think, Liam? Uh, Liam, you enjoy the drinking? <laughs> nope. Do you, do you like drinking? Do you like do you like making goldfish into carrots and eating them? I mean, I do think that story is pretty funny, but yeah, it's pretty uh, good. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, hey, this movie was fun. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, this this gave me a huge dose of nostalgia because this is one of those mm-hmm. things that 
I just never had a chance to go back to. And so I was really excited for that. And while I'm a little bummed that it wasn't as amazing as I remember, it's still fun. And I'm still just impressed by the ridiculousness of the production. You know, uh, I think one of the things that you talked about, Doug, is this weird line that it walks and that maybe it doesn't always work in that balance. But Mm -hmm. there's still a part of me that's just so like, I can't believe a movie this ridiculous exists Mm -hmm. that like gives me joy even when some of the humor in the movie, I'm like, all right, okay. Like, I just don't think it's quite working. I don't know. I still enjoy it. I I mean, quite honestly, uh, if I can find both movies on on blue together i would like both these i would like both mm. to have both these movies uh although to be to be fair i i only watched the first like 20 minutes of the sequel so maybe uh when we cover the sequel uh, on another episode i'll find out that actually the sequel's not as good as the first one i don't know i, I know, know oliver reed thinks thought that the sequel was the superior film okay well like he i did. said it's pretty, it's pretty fun at first so i'm, I'm excited to watch it uh, well, that Studio Canal just reissued uh, the 4K, or they reissued it on 4K, just the third one, not the fourth one. And mm-hmm. it looks like there's some pretty good special features and stuff. But you know, I'm one of those I'm one of those commoners who who has to live in a you know a hovel while my servant sleeps outside, <laughs> and I can't aff- and I and I can't afford a 4K player. <laughs> I don't have a 4K player or a 4K TV or the 4K of this. But well, don't steal uh, the poor guy's to look pretty good. <laughs> no, no, I won't. I won't. I won't. Uh, on our next episode, we'll be talking about Castaway, which is Nicholas Rogue's 1986 film starring Oliver Reed and Amanda Donahoe, not to be confused with the movie with Tom Hanks and the volleyball <laughs> named Wilson. Uh, this was sort of a comeback role for Reed because he was basically considered himself retired from acting. And it is notable for the time period. It's notable for it, it being sort of a comeback. And it's also notable because both actors were in Ken Russell films, um, obviously Reed in Women in Love and The Devils, but Amanda Donahoe was in Lair of the White Worm, which is mm. um, a pretty bananas Ken Russell film, although I guess they're kind of all bananas. Yeah, they're mostly all point. bananas. Yeah, they're mostly all bananas, but I've, I've never seen it, and I'm really curious to see it. I've heard good and bad things about it. So I, I love Nicholas Rogue. Uh, I'm a huge bad timing fan, um, and of course, his earlier films like Don't Look Now and Man Who Fell to Earth. So yeah, this is one I've never seen. Oliver Reed making a big comeback on, I mean, I will say, even though this is obviously not the Tom Hanks movie, the idea of Oliver Reed stuck on a desert island just generally it it, it boggles the mind so uh yeah i'm very much looking forward to checking this out i'm excited I, I didn't know anything about it before it, it, it talking about it for this is there anything anyone would like to plug before we leave liam you plug first okay yeah, sure. you plug. Uh, well, of course, uh, if people want to get the latest episodes of Cinema Smorgasbord, as well as a whole family of podcasts, they can head on over to Cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. Uh, and they can, of course, uh, find the archive of Cinema Smorgasbord, both uh, further reading, of which there is one other episode, but uh, a, a whole <laughs> variety of other shows that we've done over at Cinema Smorgasbord.com. 
Yeah, cinemasmorgasport.com. Uh, usually this would be the time where I told you to follow me on Twitter, Liam, but as of today, oh, <laughs> as wah, of the recording wah, today, wah. I have been permanently banned from Twitter, so you can no longer follow me at Doug underscore Chili, T-I-L-L-E-Y. Uh, you can, of course, still follow me at Cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. That's the Cinema Smorgasbord Twitter feed, which will be much more active now. Uh, in the future, we'll probably also be plugging locations on recently launched social networks but let's hold off until we know that they're actually going to exist more than a couple of months but yes as liam already mentioned over at cinemasmorgasbord.com you can find an array of podcasts on different topics like the career of carol kane jackie chan george kennedy alejandro jodorowsky evic diaz more and more and always more to come uh, always over at cinemasmorgasbord.com why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice or why don't you tell a friend about further reading or one of our other cinema smorgasbord podcasts every little bit helps I would like to plug my personal further reading Twitter as long as uh, or in so much as it will still exist. That's just further reading, all one word. I am. We are also available on Instagram and TikTok, and I promise I will make more Instagram and TikTok videos in the coming months. I know I said I was going to do that last time, and I didn't do it, but I really am going to do it this time. So I want to have some really interesting and fun Oliver Reed content because there's a lot of it out there. And I think it would be cool to have some little snippets and teasers and other cinematic and talk show type videos because he was an entertaining person. I think people would really appreciate seeing that. I mean, that, that clip that you had on your Instagram today was certainly something. I mean, I even referenced oh, it man. on the show today. Oh, man. <laughs> I got to find the full the full interview. I think it's on mm -hmm. YouTube. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> well, until next time, this has been Leslie Hatton, Doug Tilly, and Liam O'Donnell with further reading. Good night. Good night. <laughs>